Phoenix Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing the federal officials' report of HelloFresh E. coli outbreak and top food industry regulations to watch in 2022. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aish Rashid and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a um, story about some food industry regulations that food and beverage businesses should watch out for uh, in the second half of the year. So food and beverage companies across the supply chain, they always have to be prepared for new regulatory developments this year as they seek to bring new ingredients and products to market. So these new regulations are often reflective of the supply chain, food safety, and consumer trends. So I talk about four different ones that uh, you know food and beverage companies should look out for this year. So the first one is changes to the uh, FDA's definition of the word healthy. So in March, the FDA updated the definition of healthy, which could impact new product development or reformulation. So healthy is an implied nutrient content claim that is defined by the FDA, sorry, that is defined in FDA regulations in reference to specific levels of fat, saturated fat, cholesterol, and sodium. The FDA issued a proposed rule that revised the definition of healthy and the agency began the process of developing a symbol that industry um, players can use for products that meet the updated definition. So food and beverage companies should monitor this new definition and modify limitations for certain nutrients like fat, sodium, and added sugar. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, an FDA healthy label uh, as opposed to just companies writing healthy. Maybe, Maybe one will carry more weight. So the second one is labeling clarity on lab-grown meat. So lab-grown meat startups uh, are continuously raising millions of dollars and creating prototypes and improving their technology. And at the same time, they're getting closer to having products being made available. But one question still remains, what can those products be called? So the FDA and the USDA, with their joint oversight over the development and marketing of these products, haven't actually resolved that labeling issue yet. So in October of 2020, the FDA issued a request for information about the names or statements of identity for foods made with cultured seafood cells, and the USDA followed with a publication of an advance notice of proposed rulemaking on the labeling of lab-grown meat subject to its authorities. However, the clarity and potential alignment from these agencies on this issue in 2022 could still occur in the latter half of the year. Um, but this also is an example of, you know, it's, it's multiple players that often have oversight over uh, things like labeling with food. And especially since this is um, such a new and, and burgeoning uh, sector of the food industry, it could still take a while for, for any more labeling clarity. The third one, however, we've talked about before. So it's about regulating heavy metals in baby food. So in February of last year, a a congressional report shed light on a very grim reality of arsenic, cadmium, lead, 
and mercury, among other heavy metals, lurking in the products of at least four baby food companies. And these are major baby food companies. So following this report, baby food manufacturers saw a flurry of activity last year uh, from the FDA's Closer to Zero Action Plan to the introduction of the Baby Food Act to consumer class action lawsuits. And I talked about the Baby Food Safety Act and some of these lawsuits um, in a podcast about, uh, you know, about a in whenever this came out in February of last year. But um, in June, the FDA updated its action levels for lead in baby food and indicated that would it that it would update its action levels for other heavy metal contaminants in the years that follow. However, other stakeholders, including Congress and state, attorney ge- state attorneys general, are likely to continue to push the agency to expedite its timelines. And especially when we're dealing with something as important as baby food, uh, when, when we hear something, um, you know, regulating levels in the years that follow, I think a lot of people are like, that's not soon enough. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll see some things um, a little bit sooner than that. And then the fourth is cannabinoid regulations. So the, we know that the sale and the use of, of recreational marijuana was legalized in 2016 uh, in California specifically. So it opened new regulatory pathways separate from the regulations of marijuana to include CBD and other cannabinoids in food products. So CBD, not to be, compu- not to be confused with THC, is um, a non-psychoactive um, cannabinoid found in marijuana. Um, and it's often found in some food and, and health and, and wellness products. So the FDA continues to sort of take this hands-off approach regarding CBD marketed as an ingredient in food or dietary supplements unless, um, sorry, unless health claims are made. But this year, um, continued acceptance of marijuana and cannabinoids has certainly grown um, in several states, leading to additional pressure to open the market to CBD in food and dietary supplements on a federal level. So companies marketing cannabinoids should continue to be aware of both the federal ban on the use of CBD in food or dietary ingredients and the rapidly evolving legal landscape. So prior to writing about food, I actually wrote about cannabis um, uh, in in Canada specifically. And CBD is one of those things that uh, is often slapped on a label and makes a lot of health claims. And we were just talking about... um, food clinical trials. So I think CBD is actually going to be a big part of uh, the the food clinical trial space in the future. But as for food and beverage companies, like I said, they should always be on the lookout for new industry regulations from the FDA, USDA, and other governing bodies, not only to maintain a positive reputation, but to keep consumers safe and prevent potential safety catastrophes. So yeah, I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Like as food and beverage companies, do you think that, and, and I didn't even cover all of the potential like regulations um, as well, but do you think there's too many to look out for? Um, at the same time, they, they may not concern all food and beverage companies. These are kind of specific. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you think there needs to be a better way um, when these things are announced to, you know, for food and beverage companies to actually like follow these regulations? Um, or is it like too much information at once? And it's it's hard to expect them to uh, to keep up. Well, I think they have like a legal obligation to follow the FDA's regulations. And like, I'm sure that um, every food and beverage company, they have their own internal like regulatory people or they have support from like an outside vendor, for example, to help them make sure 
they're following all the new regulations because yeah it is it is too much for one person you know to be constantly like um checking up on these regulations and even to understand um these regulations sometimes they're very complicated you may need a team of experts um guiding a company yeah that's Um, very true but yeah definitely like for example um the first one the definition of healthy right that may concern a lot of food and beverage companies but like you mentioned like the last three are very specific and don't concern um, a majority of food and beverage companies yeah i mean this is really important and it's really great to see that the fda is coming out with all of these um regulations and uh, for the food industry because i think you know as we've kind of seen with things like what was that pink um, pink sauce pink sauce and like there's all of these trends and fads and um healthy food fads and all of this you know with companies just like you know slapping on whatever they'd like on their labels and making all of these health claims and you know we've talked a lot about that so i think it's i think the fda you know has the uh responsibility to to step in and 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 really start uh, regulating these things. So I think this is really great. Yes, there are a lot of areas because food is so extensive, right? You have so many different companies, but I think, um, if done right, I I think it's going to, to just be very advantageous at the end of the day for the consumer so that there is more clarity on what, you know, certain labels are and, um, and companies, food companies are held more accountable in terms of what they're putting on their food packaging. Um, and yeah, some of these things are going to be very niche, but I think the onus is going to be on both the food companies as well as, you know, the FDA to work together with companies to, to, um, implement these regulations and these regulatory standards. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's definitely great. I, and I, you know, I don't think it's, it's too overwhelming, I I guess maybe for huge companies like, well, even Pepsi and co, I mean, they only have certain number of products right so if something doesn't apply to them they're just going to go to the niche or to the regulation that applies to them do a search or or whatnot on the fda website if there's a portal or i have no idea how this is going to work but um yeah i'm i'm excited about this and i think it's much needed yeah it really is still like if we're focusing just on labeling and things that companies can say like it's still such a wild west out there yeah, um because yeah. as it stands i mean there's it's it's just too big of an industry for 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 the fda and and governing bodies to keep an eye on every single claim mm-hmm. that's made and unfortunately like a lot of the time the the onus or i guess the burden falls on the consumer to like mm-hmm. dispute dispute some of these claims but what's in it for them you know it's it's it feels like way too tough of a battle with the case of um the baby food, um, you know, heavy metals and baby food, that was an example of, you know, class action, class action lawsuits, yeah. like really serving a, an important purpose, because who knows, who knows if these things would have come about it had it not been for consumers, yeah. um, you know, yeah. caring for their, their, their babies. Um, and, you know, same thing applies with adult food. But I just feel like, you know, when when there's babies involved who are powerless, it, it feels like more can get done. Mm-hmm. But still, we're not, you know, I don't think people are happy with how quickly these things are moving along. So I think the FDA has a lot on its plate, but that's what they're, that's, that's what they're, what there, they're for. there for. That's yeah. what they're there for. 
Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think traditionally the the FDA has food in its name, but a lot of people do overlook that fact because they, you know, the focus just seems to be more heavily on the drug side of things. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of people do tend to forget the fact that they are also food regulators mm-hmm. and maybe they themselves also <laughs> sort of um, forget that, not forget that <laughs> sometimes, but I mean, definitely they are... Um, on the, you know, more so on the drug side of things. And so Mm -hmm. maybe this is just a way for them to be like, hey guys, we are also food regulators and we need to up our game on that side as well. Well, now the second story is is kind of similar, um, but I'm going to be talking about a uh, a E. coli outbreak, um, specifically having to do with the meal kit company HelloFresh. So Earlier this week, uh, the USDA um, Food Safety and Inspection Service, or FSIS, reported a public health alert due to concerns that the ground beef in some HelloFresh meal kits may be associated with E. coli. So while the FDA would normally issue a recall, there actually was no issue, uh, sorry, there was actually no recall issue because the products are no longer available for purchase. So that was an interesting thing that I learned um, as I was writing this, that you can't actually issue a recall if you can't purchase the product anymore, which makes sense, but they're still concerned that some consumers might still have it in their freezer if they didn't use it. And they're obviously encouraged to dispose of the product. Um, so according to the public health alert, the meal kits containing ground beef for this public health alert were shipped to consumers from July 2nd to the 21st of this year. Um, and then they stated specific, uh, codes that were on the packaging. So consumers can look on the side of the package to see if, uh, it was affected. So, um, the CDC is working with the FSIS and state health officials on the HelloFresh E. coli outbreak investigation. However, the CDC hasn't posted any information um, yet as of a few days ago. So the public health alert comes as um, federal health authorities in the country are investigating an outbreak of E. coli with ground beef being the probable source of the illness. So in April, the FSIS announced that the New Jersey-based company Lakeside Refrigerated Services was recalling over 120,000 pounds of ground beef products that might be associated with E. coli. And then just a month ago in August, the FSIS issued another public health alert over concerns that a company called Hawaii Big Islands Beef ground beef products might be adulterated with E. coli. So this problem specifically was was discovered by the FSIS during an assessment of the establishment's production records associated with a sample that tested positive for E. coli. So these items uh, were shipped uh, to retail and restaurant locations just in Hawaii, but As ground beef-related E. coli outbreaks continue to pop up, um, consumers should be aware of the symptoms and seek medical attention from potential exposure to the bacteria. So there are actually specific tests required to diagnose the infection, and symptoms can vary person to person, but often include severe stomach cramps, diarrhea, and even fever. And it's it's good to note that you know these symptoms can be associated with a lot of other things and a lot of other foodborne illnesses as well, and that's why there is a specific test to to diagnose it. Um, but, you know, the good news is that most E. coli patients recover within five to seven days. However, about five to 10% of them can diagnose, um, sorry, five to 10% of the diagnosed, um, those diagnosed with E. coli can develop a potentially life-threatening 
kidney failure known as hemolytic uremic syndrome, or HUS. So symptoms of HUS include fever, abdominal pain, fatigue, decreased frequency of urination, small unexplained bruises, bleeding, and paleness. So um, just in terms of the numbers, according to the CDC, uh, an estimated 265,000 E. coli infections occur each year in the U.S., and around the world, um, the WHO Global Burden of Foodborne Diseases report estimates that around 300 million um, illnesses and 200,000 deaths are caused by E. coli each year. So this is not, uh, this is not a small illness or, or rare by any means. Um, now, in terms of high-risk areas... Um, the, the, those include um, a lot of Asia, the Middle East, Africa, Mexico, and Central and South America. And luckily, Canada and the U.S. Um, are considered low-risk areas. But meanwhile, this latest uh, HelloFresh E. coli outbreak kind of serves as a reminder that, you know, you got to cook ground beef to 160 degrees in order to kill any harmful bacteria. Um, and, and sometimes even cooking it won't, won't kill the bacteria either. So... Um, yeah, I, I was kind of surprised that a really mainstream company uh, like HelloFresh was associated with E. coli. And, you know, what, what kind of, um, what do you think that does to a company's reputation? Are you less trustworthy of a company that, um, you know, comes out and says some of our products might have contained E. coli or another foodborne illness? Or... On the other hand, um, is it good that they're not hiding behind anything and they're they're owning up to to a potential you know food safety catastrophe there? Yeah, no, I think um, both points are very valid in terms of um, it could, on one hand, boost trust in a company that is taking ownership and you know um, of any potential problems in, in their, uh, in their food, um, in terms of contamination. And then, but on the other hand, you could have, you know, a, a trust issue there as well. But I think for me personally, I feel like, um, these kinds of food recalls are like, have become so common that like, it's kind of inevitable that almost that a company would be affected by them. So it's not so surprising anymore. It's not like, oh my God, this company is like doomed now because they had, you know, a recall over contamination with uh, something or another. I think um, just with standards now, nowadays as well, being more stringent and being more, uh, uh, you know, the stricter, that is also probably lending to um, these companies, you know, in their routine um, check-ins and checkups of their of their products that they're finding and revealing these kinds of um, issues in products and then alerting the uh, public to them. So I think it's just yeah, a product of just stricter, you know, testing standards and um, yeah, it just seems that it's a good thing to me that these companies are alerting the uh, the public uh, of these issues early on. And, um, you know, I think people should be more um, trusting, at least I think, um, in my case, I, I, you know, I don't find it so surprising anymore. Like back in the day, maybe 10, 20 years ago, if you heard of your lettuce or spinach being contaminated with something, like, oh my God, I'm never going to buy that ever again. But now it seems to be a bit more routine. 
Yeah, I also think with like the advanced testing cap capabilities that food companies have nowadays, like they can catch things faster and at lower detection levels as well. Um, but yeah, Sydney, this reminds me how a couple of weeks ago you talked about the food traceability rule. Yes. And yeah, actually, I couldn't see um, meat like beef as one of those um, foods that the FDA wanted to trace. So I'm just wondering like if meat like especially ground beef if it has all this e coli contamination like why wouldn't why wouldn't they put it as one of those um foods that that are often linked to foodborne illnesses um they they seem to be focused more on um seafood uh vegetables and so beef was not on the on no the no it wasn't, oh, okay. it wasn't weirdly enough um yeah. I guess, I mean, I, I don't know why it wasn't. I guess maybe these, these other foods are even more prone to like foodborne illness contamination uh, than ground beef. Although, yeah, it's, it's weird. We, we really have been seeing like a string of, uh, of, of E. coli outbreaks related to ground beef. Now, in the research and, and in the examples I was talking about, luckily, I don't think anyone actually became ill. Um, mm -hmm. These were all cases of, um, you know, E. coli was found sort of after the fact which which isn't good either like luckily no one was you know uh became ill but it's not like they could issue a recall because it was a it was too little too late sort of thing um it was a retroactive sort of oh just in case yeah. you 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 uh bought this this particular product in this particular time window you may want to dispose of it so um yeah i feel like there the ground beef um and and beef and meat in general um should probably have been included uh in that list maybe it was already far too robust to include anyway that's like a whole other industry um you know to include um but yeah i mean i'm glad that no one uh was was ill from this but i feel yeah. like there needs to be like another sort of i don't know if like we can use the term recall, but another word for instances like this, like a retroactive sort of recall. Um, Cause I feel like these can go even way more under the radar than, than some even mainstream food recalls. So um, I feel like a lot of people will have missed things like this uh, just cause there wasn't a formal recall. So I wonder if, 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 you know, these, the, to me, it's just as important. People can still have this product and don't know, you know, yeah, true. And HelloFresh, it's like such a big name, uh -huh. you know, so I, I wonder the impact this may have on consumers, like you mentioned. Um, I feel like oftentimes when it's a big company, it gets covered more in the press uh -huh. compared to like a smaller company that may have a recall. Uh -huh. So perhaps the larger food and beverage companies, they have, um, I guess, almost like more to lose if they have a recall. Yeah. And I was thinking too, like, should, is it fair for consumers to be less trustworthy of a brand or, or is, or is it more fair to be skeptical of the food in the first place? Um, you know, like eating ground beef, for example, or just being more aware of like the fact that you need to cook it to a certain temperature. Like, is it fair to be upset with, with HelloFresh? Is it really their fault specifically? Um, or are these certain foods just more prone to foodborne illness uh, outbreaks um, and to be more skeptical or, or, or aware in terms of safety 
um, mm. of these specific foods. So yeah, I mean, I agree with with your points, Aisha. Like, it's good that at least they're owning up to it. Um, but yeah, I I don't not expect these things either. You know, they're they're becoming so mm. much more common, which is exactly what we don't want. But we all want food and we all want it fast. And I think, uh, mm. you know, supply chain and, you know, consumer demands, food companies are trying to keep up and these things can slip under, you know, the radar, no matter how stringent safety is sometimes. We're always, I think we're always going to see this. I don't think there will be a world without foodborne illness outbreaks, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, yeah, there were so many of them, as I, like, you know, I was just saying, it's like, I feel like I can't eat anything anymore. <laughs> it's like my lettuce is gone. Now my beef is gone. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of this episode of the Xbox Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Xbox Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.